the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, we're going to discuss some fascinating things about Gary Chapman, the author of the well-known book, The Five Love Languages. And then we're joined by Dr. Scott McKnight, professor of New Testament at Northern Seminary. You are listening to The Common Good. Hey, friends, welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us today. All right, Aubrey, we've done, you and I are both married, yes. uh, not to one another. We both have uh, spouses yes. that have been married over 20 years, each of us now. Well done, uh, us. More so well done, our spouses. I guess that's a good point. <laughs> let's, let's be real about that. That's true. Uh, we have also, as pastors, we've done our fair share of premarital counseling mm-hmm. and marrying people, and that's always a joy to do. Yes. Uh, and so in that uh, vein, there is a little book that it came out years ago called The Five Love Languages. Uh, yes. It came out in the mid-90s, and uh, listen to this, this statistic. It is one of the top six Christian books other than the Bible ever released. Some of the other books, uh, you may have heard of them. The Purpose Driven Life, uh, The Jesus Calling, uh, and some of the others. Wow. Like, it is up there Unbelievable. in the pantheon. The Prayer of Jabez, which is a whole other subject we should talk about someday. Uh, but The Five Love Languages, it has been referenced in The Bachelor uh, it is all over the place. Wow. Well, so, I love the book, but I didn't know that. That's amazing. So let's start with this. Uh, why is the book The Five Love Languages? Then I'll explain why I'm talking about it right now. It mm-hmm. might seem random, but why do you think the book The Five Love Languages has resonated throughout culture, but especially in the church world? Well, I, I mean, I think one, it's very practical. It is mm-hmm. super helpful to know how you give and receive love and just even having those categories and the language for that helps um, avoid so much marital conflict because what we tend to do in marriage is love our spouse the way we want to be loved, but sometimes that's not their love language. And so we're Mm -hmm. like, our spouse doesn't feel loved, but we're saying, I'm loving you. I'm loving you. What am I doing wrong? And just these practical five languages, I think, have put some incredible tools in married couples' hands, That's right. even in even in like parents' and kids' hands, even in, in roommates' hands, and helped us just to increase our uh, relational joy because we're learning how to give and receive love the way the, our partner wants That's right. to give and receive yeah. love. I'd encourage people to go out and read it. It is, uh, you know, people poke at it and uh, but it's, it's really helpful for the ways you said there, what, you know, I can look at my wife and I can ask how do how do not, how do I like to be loved, but how does Carrie best, yes. uh, feel loved yes. and vice versa. But here's why I want to ask you about it, Aubrey, because this book's old, people know about it, but you might think with a book of that sort of success yes. that Gary Chapman is just living the good life on a yacht. He is a social media influencer. Right. He is speaking and, and like he's, you know, kind of a celebrity. Let me read to you. This is out of Christianity Today. 
today. That is uh, always my fun way of saying this. Uh, It says his own life looks remarkably unchanged from what it was in 1992 when he wrote the first of his 71 books. Whoa. So let me just read this to you, Aubrey, and then I just want you to go like, I'm inspired by that or that's weird or whatever. Here we go. Sure. The 83-year-old's two children have grown up. There are grandchildren now. But in an era when evangelical influence is marked by charisma, preacher sneakers, and VIP green rooms, it's like when you go speaking, Aubrey. Obviously. He's more like an anti-influencer. Gary Chapman is a constant. He, he's lived in the same red brick house for more than 20 years. He still counsels couples in the same Baptist congregation he has pastored for five decades wow. in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. He blocks Sundays from his busy speaking schedule so he can attend worship there, even if it means taking a red-eye flight to make it on time. Many weeks, he stands at the door after services to greet parishioners. Gary Chapman is vanilla. He doesn't (laughs) drink. He seems to have worn uh, khakis for most of his life. His guiltiest pleasure is that when he can't finish lunch or dinner without dessert, a slice of cake, a slice of pie, said his son. He goes silent. He goes into the zone. <laughs> Gary Chapman is methodical. He waters his backyard flowers in the morning. Uh, he prays through his first round of daily calisthenics. Mm. And it goes on and it concludes this way. Gary is well, just Gary. Wow. It says, don't tell him he's old or famous, goes the punchline around his home and office. He doesn't know either. Wow. I don't know why I found that to be really compelling. And what is it, Aubrey, about the fact that right now in the church world, that sort of methodical, that sort Mm. of day in and day out, that sort of boringness, that sort of um, non-celebrity is so appealing. (laughs) I mean, I agree. You know, it, it reminds me a little bit of, I, I I hope this is okay, but it makes me think of Mr. Rogers, right? Like we've talked about him on the show, like though he was famous, he lived just this sort of faithful, now not perfect, but faithful, small life. And I, I think there is something so beautiful about Gary Chapman, who ultimately with, with his book sales, I mean, the guy could live anywhere. He could have a villa in Italy. He could be making a ton. He could probably sell whatever he wanted to sell to any publishing house. He could make videos. I mean, the list is endless. And here he is just like faithfully getting up and exercising, faithfully counseling people, leading a church, living what to some people would seem as a as a not meaningful life i actually think he's got it right yes he, living this small life that pleases the lord and i'm assuming honors the people he's around um there is something really deeply refreshing and that um i don't know brian i you know we've talked about this before but there is so much pressure now to be an influencer as a christian leader mm-hmm. and he's just like no, I'm just going to live my life and live it faithfully. And we need to celebrate more of these stories. And I think it reminds us also that, and we have to do this on the show sometimes, that there's so much bad out mm, there. Right. Um, there's so much negative at times because of scandals or self-promotion or, you know, kind of celebrity Christian culture that the Gary Chapmans of the world, I feel the same way about Rick Warren when you read about Rick Warren's yeah. life or- you know, take what you will about his theology, but John Piper continues to live in the same small house in Minnesota right. after all these book sales right. and all these years. Uh, there is something to just the constant 
uh, nature. I my the whole thing that I read there. My favorite thing is that after fifty years at the same church, Gary Chapman will still stand at the back door. I think that's people. amazing. Yeah, love it. So yep. I want to point people to Christianity today because we can highlight a lot of negatives in the church world, but man, I want to just highlight mm. things that are just so compelling yeah, beautiful. and rich. Well, we're off and running on a Friday today. Coming up next, uh, somebody that we respect greatly and love to have on the show. He's a professor of New Testament. At Northern Seminary, his name is Dr. Scott McKnight. Dr. McKnight is going to join us next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us. And Aubrey, we are thrilled to be joined uh, by somebody that we've had on before. We love having on the show. It's Dr. Scott McKnight. Scott is a professor of New Testament at Northern Seminary, author of many books, uh, including some we're going to talk to him about today. Scott, how are you doing today? Great, Brian. Good to be back with you and to be with Aubrey. Yeah, it's absolutely our pleasure. And Scott, for people who may not be aware of you or who didn't hear you before, why don't you just introduce yourself so people can get to know you a little better? Okay. I um, I teach at Northern Seminary, um, and I'm getting close to being a professor for 40 years. Oh, that's Whoa. amazing. Congrats. Yeah, I've, um, I've, I don't know. It's kind of grown on me the last couple <laughs> months. Like, hey, this is this is weird. <laughs> and, this is uh, your job. You do this for a living. <laughs> yeah, that's my job. That's right, and uh, I love it. And um, I, I'm not uh, planning on stopping. That's great. That's um, and uh, so we we live in the northern suburbs. My wife, Chris, is a psychologist. We have two children: uh, Laura, my daughter. And uh, I wrote a book with her, a church called Tove, and my son Lucas, who is um, a sports guy who mm. played for the Cubs minor leagues for five years. Oh, that's worked cool! In the Cubs front office for fifteen years, and is now working for a, a company called Visual Edge that trains the eyes of athletes no. to be able to hit baseballs at alarming speeds. Wow. wow. That's fascinating. That That's is a very cool job. Wow. Wow. Well, Scott, yeah, thanks for being here fun. with us today. We're so thrilled to have you. Um, Brian you. and I are both pastors, and you wrote something recently called A Word for Ministry During This Pandemic. And this is the part that stood out to me because Brian and I have talked about this very thing. You said a pastor friend told me he knows of some 30 pastors who have walked away from ministry and as many as 50% of current ministers have considered resigning or retiring. You are suffering in your calling. Can you unpack that for us a little bit? Well, um, this has been an um, extraordinary journey Mm -hmm. for me as a seminary professor and as one um, because of a church called Tove in constant communication with people in churches, pastors, meeting with pastors, talking with pastors, um, of the struggles that mm. they are having yeah. during the pandemic. But it, it kind of starts with the last two elections, mm-hmm. uh, especially the last one, you know, the, the previous one with, with President Trump and now the one with President Biden. Uh, the pandemic has exacerbated it all. Social media has intensified nearly everything that happens into almost uh, war. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And people are, you know, people are deconstructing their faith. And pastors 
who genuinely pastor people want to spend time with people. Mm-hmm. And this last 18 months has been a time when pastors have more challenges being with people and more demands on their time just to create church services that are streamed and getting the equipment and checking the equipment and why didn't the sound come through here and mm. who can do this for us and we can't get too close to them because of masking and, <laughs> and people are irritated about masks and people are irritated that we shouldn't have masks. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it seems like our pastors are in um, one of the most difficult periods of their entire pastoral life. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, I said this, and I said it on that post this morning, that uh, no one was prepared for what pastors are experiencing yeah. right now. Yeah. I had yeah. a pastor yeah. write me this morning and said he wept mm. uh, as, he read, as he read that post. Mm. So I feel for him. I really feel for him. Yeah, yeah. And Scott, you... Yeah, I had to this all these pastors who are collapsing and the criticisms of church and church leaders losing their credibility in society uh, it's a tough time, and I, I think it's a, it's a time to embrace the cruciform life mm. of pastoring in ways that have not been done before. Mm. Yeah, I guess that's where I wanted to go there, Scott, too. So when a pastor emails you, or you're a seminary prof, so you're talking to all these students and other people, uh, we all know that it's really hard right now, but how do you encourage them? What do you say to the pastors who are like, I don't even know if I can do this anymore? Yeah. What What is... What kind of pathway do you, of encouragement do you take towards them? Well, one of the things I, I tell pastors, you know, they don't, they don't often tell me I'm not going to make it any longer. I hear about this from others. Um, I would say um, you have to uh, dig deep into uh, why you're doing what you're doing and what your calling is. And that um, one of my most important things that I say to them, I think, is if you don't pastor, who's going to do it? Mm. I mean, yes, it's difficult, and it's more difficult than ever before, but who else wow. is prepared to do this other than the one who has been through the pain? Mm. Wow. And um, pastors who preach and minister out of pain are the pastors we need the most mm. in this day. Mm. Pastors who've never experienced pain are the ones who who can't seem to find anything to say to business people, to parents, to adolescents, to people who are struggling with, with the new world that the pandemic has created for them. You're ministering to me right now, so thanks for this, Dr. (laughs) McKnight. Well, we do want to talk to you about your book, Five Things Biblical Scholars Wish Theologians Knew. It just came out on September 7th, so a little book baby. Um, and before we dive into the book, Scott, I would love to know what is the difference between a biblical scholar and a theologian? Because <laughs> my guess is a lot of our listeners would say, what are you talking about? They're the same thing. Yeah, well, I've had this conversation maybe 50 times in my life. I said, oh, I'm not a theologian. I'm a <laughs> What's the difference? Technically, a Bible person, a uh, biblical scholar, deals with either the Old Testament or the New Testament on its own terms, in its historical context, exegesis, they write commentaries, and books about the Bible. Systematic theologians, theologians, um, discuss the history of Christian theology, say the Trinitarian theology of the Cappadocians or Augustine, or they talk about 
um, you know, what Thomas Aquinas taught or Luther or Calvin, etc. And they study the history of theology, and they propose a large system of uh, putting it all together into some form of theology that is a, sort of a combination that starts with the Bible and then moves into philosophy and the history of thought. And the next thing you know, they have a large synthesis uh, that is partly biblical and partly post-biblical. Mm. And um, a lot of people, that's the world in which they live, because we don't just read the Bible, we think about the Bible in terms of what we've learned. Bible people are always challenging those things and saying, you know, that's not really in the Bible. And theologians will say, yes, but we don't, we don't believe only what's in the Bible. Mm. Uh, we've learned as Christians in Christian wisdom and thinking and prayer and creeds and councils to put things together in ways that have given the church uh, firm categories um, on which they hang their major ideas. Mm. That's true. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> very clear. Thank you. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. Well, again, Dr. Scott McKnight, professor of New Testament at Northern Seminary, uh, author of a bunch of books, including his new book, Five Things Biblical Scholars Wish Theologians Knew. Uh, also, uh, he's got that book that we had him on a couple months ago to talk about called A Church Called Tove. It is truly one of the most important books about church culture right now that's out there. And, and I guess I would ask you this question. Could you explain for people just the concept of Tove? And why do you think this is, like, so important right now and being embraced by so many people right now? Well, we're being ch- Okay, Tov is the Hebrew word for good or goodness. Mm-hmm. And I say God created all things good. Genesis 1, God is alone is good, Tov. And everything God does is Tov. He calls us to be Tov. Jesus wants to be people, us to be people of good Tov works. Mm. And the Apostle Paul says... The fruit of the Spirit is Tov, for goodness. So, um, Tov is important right now, Brian and Aubrey, in a way that um, I never anticipated. But there is a lot of challenge to the credibility of the Church Mm -hmm. and Christianity and the way Christians are living in the United States Mm -hmm. in ways I have not seen in my entire life. Wow. And I think the best counter to these challenges is not to spin off a large book defending uh, the faith, um, not to get into an argument about the existence of God, but to be people who are good, who practice goodness, and whose life compels others to consider what they believe and how they live because of their pattern of life. Mm. And our example uh, in the book is Mr. Rogers. Mm-hmm. There's nobody who doesn't think Mr. Rogers was a good man, right. a Presbyterian, Presbyterian ordained minister. And so many people who worked with him said, use that word, very word of him. He was good. Mm. If they read Hebrew, they would have said Tov. Mm. And they said that Mr. Rogers at work was the Mr. Rogers at home mm. and the Mr. Rogers everywhere he went. That's what we need. Yeah. We need more people to imitate and emulate and um, less obsession with defending ourselves. Mm. I think our greatest defense right now is an unimpeachable life. Mm. Wow. 
Um, Scott, speaking of Tove, you have an event coming up called Tove for Women. It's at uh, Northern Seminary on Friday, October 22nd. Can you briefly tell us a little bit about that event? Yes. Um, my daughter, Laura Berenger, and I will be there along with some other speakers uh, where we will talk about this, the importance of Tove in churches for women and, in that sense, the criticism of churches for women that are not Tove, that are toxic. Mm. But we want to sketch out uh, why Tove is so important in this day for women in churches. You know, women are the uh, backbone of the church in the United States. You know, we can talk about pastors and preachers all we want. But uh, moms are nurturing their children in faith, along with fathers, of course, and siblings. But moms are very effective. My mother was very instrumental in my faith. Mm. And uh, women are less safe in churches today because all of a sudden, the, the, you know, the Church Too, the uh, yeah. Me Too uh, sto- uh, movement came out, and suddenly women began to realize that they had been abused with power. Mm. And previously they thought, well, this is just the way churches operate now, just look past it. Mm. Because I love Jesus and I, I want to come worship and fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. So right now there is a quest on the part of many women to help uh, establish churches that are safer for women, mm. and we want to be a part of that at Northern Seminary, that. and that's why we're having this event. Oh, that's great. That. Scott, as you look at the American church, and that's I know it's painting with a broad brush, but kind of the American evangelical church that you're talking about, uh, all of these stories, Aubrey and I always talk about them here on the show, and it can become overwhelming, right, talking about the church, yeah. the church two movement and the toxicity of the church. I don't know how to ask this question except to ask, is it a good thing that all of this is coming out? And like, do you think this is a refining thing? Or are you worried that the church is is not even going to be able to stand up to this, at least the church as we know it? How do you process? Because for every one story we hear, you have to be hearing a hundred of them. So how do you even just process it all? Well, we often, Laura and I often say we get three to five stories a week, mm-hmm. uh, probably slowing down right now because uh, it's a new season. Um, but I do think it's good. I don't think it's happy, and I yeah. think it's painful. But I think it is good that leaders suddenly are realizing that what they say and do could go public and viral. Mm. They don't like that. They would rather things be silent and protect the church, but what they're doing is protecting their own name from the truth being told. The truth is always more important than falsehood or silence or secrecy. Mm. So I don't like like to tell the stories. And and Brian and Aubrey, I know so many pastors, so many church leaders, and so many Christians and churches that are tov, tov, tov. Mm. Yeah, they're not perfect. But they're just good people doing good things Mm. and nobody knows about them. Mm. So... It's not like every church is like this, but the uh, there's something that has happened in these major churches, and they're the only ones who make the big stories, right. yeah. that is toxic and rotten, and we want to, and this is what I'm involved in, we want to find out why this happened. I want to find out as a seminary professor my complicity in this, right. and I want to help uh, 
form a redemptive way forward to help us work on forming churches that are told. Mm -hmm. And Laura and I are working and near the end of another manuscript um, that will talk about transforming church cultures from toxic to tove. That's awesome. Oh, That's I love when the show must go on is not enough. That's right. Episode. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely yeah. right, Scott. Okay, I want to bring it back to one question about your new book, Five Things Biblical Scholars Wish Theologians Knew. What is one of the big ones? I know you're talking about five, but give us your favorite thing <laughs> you wish theologians knew. Well, all five of them are my favorite. <laughs> um, so well, I think we've got to go to the Bible. We've got to do I would say this. We need a greater emphasis on what uh, Charles Marsh calls lived theology. Hmm. In other words, I don't think we should see theology as just intellectual, rational, reasonable, propositional statements collected into a book so that we can say this is what we believe. But theology that is embodied in a life transcends words on a page to be compelling in our society. And I really believe that theology that is not, uh, let's say, filled with stories of people who fit the paradigm um, is not a complete story. Look at the Bible's form of theology. We hear stories of, of Adam and Eve, and we hear stories of Abraham, and we hear stories of Moses and David and the prophets and Jesus and Peter and Paul. We get stories of these people. We don't just get a systematic textbook. Right. We get, we get to watch them live faithfully and be challenged by their world, and that's what we need more of. So the last chapter on live theology I'll just say today is my favorite, but tomorrow I'll change. There you go. <laughs> As good. any good parent knows, right? There you go. So yeah, Scott right. McKnight yeah. is a professor of New Testament at Northern Seminary, the author of a new book that we've just been talking about, Five Things Biblical Scholars Wish Theologians Knew. Uh, also, I'd encourage you to go pick up a church called Tove, Forming a Goodness Culture that resists abuses of power and promotes healing. You can learn more about Scott and his books at his blog, Jesus Creed. And I'd, uh, I'm a, Scott is a great follow on Twitter also, at Scott McKnight. I'd encourage you to follow him there. Scott, thanks so much for your time. We love having you on. We appreciate it. Have a great day. And thank you, Brandon Aubrey. Very good to be with you. Our pleasure. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Friday evening. We are so thrilled that you're here with us. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm, and we are joined by a very special guest. Dr. Gregory Jantz is a popular speaker, best-selling author, and the founder of The Center, a place of hope in Edmonds, Washington. And we are so excited to talk to Dr. Jantz about his new book, So Much to Live For. How to Provide Help and Hope to Someone Considering Suicide. What an important topic. Dr. Jantz, thanks so much for being here with us today. Well, it's a very important, sobering topic today. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. And um, Greg, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you or your work, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. We're just celebrating 38 years uh, at the center, A Place of Hope. We began, coined the term uh, whole person care many years ago, mm. and we see and treat uh, from around the country and actually even internationally uh, depression and anxiety are the two biggest 
issues that we're seeing, and those are on the increase, um, anxiety being, or an anxiety disorder at the top of the list. Wow. Mm. So I'm outside of uh, the Seattle area in a beautiful little waterfront community where the center, a place of hope is. Mm. And Greg, it's such an important work, this new project, so much to live for, uh, especially in the midst of the pandemic mm-hmm. and all that's going on. So I'd just love to hear about the project. Why did you do it at this time? Why, why this book right now? Well, So Much to Live For is really about, ultimately about suicide uh, prevention and how to help a loved one. Mm. And I have to tell you, it's my 40th book. Wow. And I, never, I never thought, never, ever imagined that this would be a topic that I would write on. Mm. But then um, through this uh, last two years um, with uh, the pandemic, we've watched anxiety disorders uh, really move at all-time highs and also addiction, addiction issues, alcohol. Uh, We're making, it sounds strange, but sales records for selling alcohol like never before. Wow. That's that's not a good sign, actually. So as we look at this, uh, we're also seeing suicide rates uh, really move up. In fact, we've never seen the suicide rates where they are. Mm. And it really was troublesome. And as I looked into this, and I found that uh, across the board, our 12 to 17-year-olds, suicide is the second leading cause of death. Wow. Mm. And that's, when I say that, it just seems so odd and weird to say. Yeah, it's Absolutely. Almost- it's almost surreal mm-hmm. that you're kidding me. Twelve to seventeen year old suicides the second leading cause of death. Mm. So that really uh, prompted me to really look at this, and I realized that most all of us, if we don't know somebody, there's somebody that we probably know about mm-hmm. in our close yeah. circle of friends. Yeah. Um, Greg, I'm just sitting here thinking, Brian and I are both parents of teenagers, and so Mm -hmm. to hear a statistic like that is certainly staggering. What are some of the warning signs that someone may be considering suicide? You know, suicide, um, when we look at warning signs, there are some that um, are clear, and there's times where it's not. You know, in a recent study, for example, 75% of the parents uh, had no idea or they were wow. unaware of suicide ideation in their kids. Wow. So 75% of parents are like, no, I, di- I didn't know they were thinking about that. Um, so when you begin to look at it, we also know that um, with our kids, well, the year 2020, we had the highest academic failure ever. Mm. Oh, well, so we're making some new records and they're not good records so kids are failing in school. Addiction rates have gone up. Uh, kids are starting addiction, addictive behaviors earlier. Mm. So when we look at well, what are the warning signs? Well, uh, some of it is uh, this last couple of years of chronic, unrelentless stress has really prompted uh, a weariness and exhaustion and yeah. depression, anxiety, addiction. And so... Uh, people are worn out, and for some, this has just pushed them over that edge mm. of despair mm. Mm. Uh, in their life. Yeah. Unbelievable. So, Greg, uh, again, as Aubrey said, we're both parents of, of teenagers and soon-to-be yes. teenagers. 
What should parents be doing? Is this proactive? Like, let me be having this ongoing conversation with my kids. What would you give advice to people who've got kids like we do? Well, one of the really important pieces is stay in relationship. Mm -hmm. What happens is kids and others, maybe they'll isolate. And so people are, they're feeling fearful or they'll isolate some of the normal peer group uh, or friends you'll see them disconnect from. Mm. You may see some academic failure, but you may see um, an apathy develop with our with our kids. Uh, you may see that again that academic failure. Uh, look for what's happened in the relationships. Uh, what's being communicated in social media? Mm-hmm. Uh, social media and kids um, is not always a good mix. Yeah. So, but, you know, have, is there some addictive behaviors that have begun? Uh, there's uh, the average age to exposure to pornography on the Internet is about age uh, nine. Whoa. Oh. You know, so some of these things, wh- what's going on in their world? Mm. We don't always know. Hmm. And Greg, what do you feel like some common myths or maybe even misconceptions are out there about suicide? Yes, there are some misconceptions that um, are really myths. One is, if I say anything, like, have I ever ever asked a person uh, if they thought about suicide, maybe I'm giving them an idea? Hmm. Well, that's, that's really a myth. Yeah. Um, Bringing up conversations and even saying things like, have you ever thought about harming yourself or hurting yourself or taking your life? Uh, tell me, you know, how, how bad is it? So those are important pieces. Uh, to be willing to talk about it. Absolutely. Uh, be careful about judgment. You know, sometimes, you, what? How could you ever, ever even think about that? Yeah. No, listening is a key. Mm. Um, listing is a key. And then really there's a gentle guiding them to make sure that they're getting the help and the resources that they need. If we're thinking about suicide, well, one of the things that we're thinking about is is our reality is distorted. We're not thinking rationally. We may be impulsive. Our judgments generally are not very good if we're thinking about taking our lives. And so we do need to guide a person to really getting the help they need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. We're here with Dr. Gregory Jantz, popular speaker, best-selling author, founder of The Center, A Place of Hope. We're talking about his book, So Much to Live For, How to Provide Help and Hope to Someone Considering Suicide. You can learn more about Dr. Jantz and his books at drgregoryjantz.com. And Dr. Gregory Jantz is thankfully with us again to continue talking about this topic of suicide and to talk about another book that he wrote, The Anxiety Reset, A Life-Changing Approach to Overcoming Fear, Stress, Worry, Panic Attacks, OCD, and more. And Dr. Jantz, I mean, all of those topics in your subtitle are so relevant right now. So many people are suffering from anxiety coming out of the pandemic. Can you talk to us a little bit about that book project? Yes. um, Anxiety, as I've said, is is truly at an all-time high. That just means anxiety is actually at the top of the list of of uh, concerns, so followed next by depression, and then we see things like physical issues, heart disease, cancer, etc. So anxiety for the world 
is at the top of the list. Mm-hmm. Well, anxiety comes in many different forms. Uh, there could be social, you know, we have social anxiety now. It's like, what are the new rules? When I see you, right. do, do I shake your hand? Uh, I, I certainly don't hug you, do I? <laughs> so, you know, everything is different, mm-hmm. which the social anxiety means it's promoting anxiety. Yeah, yeah. So, uh you know, anxiety is coming in many different forms. For a person that's had some post-traumatic stress disorder uh, and trauma in their life, this has just been weary and worn people out. They're in emotional exhaustion. Mm. So I think about anxiety. Um, you know, this, it's not as though there's an anxiety virus. It's catchy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fear is, wow. Fear is really catchy. And remember, fear or anxiety... It sounds funny to say, but it runs in herds. But people mm. uh, uh, run in these fear herds. A funny example. Mm. Uh, last year, when a lot of this had started with the COVID, uh, not far from me was the original Costco <laughs> where the toilet paper craze started. No way. <laughs> oh, no way. You, you remember the toilet paper craze? Yes, yes. Okay. Of course. Well, that started just a few miles from me. Wow. And somebody decided they were going to buy up a bunch of toilet paper. And before you know it, everybody was buying toilet paper. Mm. Right, and when we right. Didn't, we didn't get enough toilet paper, then we added in paper towels. Um, and something was happening. And people were going, well, everybody's buying it. I better go get my, my garage, too. And, and you ask the question, why? Why are you doing this? Nobody knew why they were doing it. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I don't know. Because, see, toilet paper had nothing to do with COVID. That's right. You think about that. That's it right. had nothing to do with You're COVID. You're exactly right. So, but it, we were running in a fear. Mm. Everybody was afraid. Mm. So we need to step back and go, when that fear, the wind of fear blows through, you know, there's a spiritual side to that. Fear is a great paralyzer, fears a tool, if you will, of the enemy. Um, So we need to look, this can be a spiritual side to this, um, but fear causes us to do irrational behaviors. Hmm. That's what right now, you know, we have a lot of fear out there, and then there's fear about the future. There's a lot of unknowns. Hmm. And so that that just keeps promoting this anxiety. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Greg, then uh, you touched on this already, but anxiety, depression, again, I'm a parent with teenagers. It just feels like such a bigger, more prevalent deal than when I was a teenager. And maybe I just didn't realize it. Um, am I right about that? And and if, if it kind of goes in kind of a herd mentality a little bit, do you think that's going to turn or, or are we just going to see more and more anxiety in our culture um, with really kind of no turning around? What do you think, what do you look at for the future here? Well, I think anxiety is, in, in many cases, could intensify. Um, people are unhappy with things they're seeing in the country. There's political divide. There's things that people don't know what to believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's so much distrust. We don't know what to believe. So true. What is true? And so there's anytime there's confusion, there's going to be anxiety or distrust. There'll be yeah. anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think we're in the middle of that. I think there's going to be more distrust. Um, I What we have to be careful is some of this is going to be normal, like, okay, there's this anticipatory anxiety. It's like, what's going to happen next? Mm. You know, it's like the doom. It's like, okay, 
and people are, what's the new term? Doom scrolling, you know. That's right, right, on their, on their right. Phone. right. Doom, we're just in, endless negative news. Yeah, it's <laughs> so true. <laughs> um, so that doesn't help. Right. But our self-care, how we care for ourselves, spiritual wellness, I think we've got to remember to take care of our, you know, sleep hygiene is really important because sleep's, uh, you know, there's probably a sleep epidemic. People have so many sleep issues right mm. now. Um, Dr. Jantz, speaking of that, just getting better sleep and, um, you know, coming out of the pandemic, I, you know, I know we're still in a pandemic. We're also not, you know, it's complicated time, but I wonder what are some tools for us to manage anxiety? How can we get better sleep? Are there breathing exercises? Is there meditation to do? Like give our listeners some handholds for their own anxiety. Well, let me just give a couple ideas that may be of help. Okay. One idea would be when you feel anxious, change your physical setting. Um, too often we isolate more. Um, maybe you feel like, oh, I just feel this anxiety coming over me. Go outside. Go for a 20-minute walk. Also look at what's going, going in your mouth. Um, mm. When we're anxious, we tend to drink less water. It's really interesting. Mm. So am I, get your water with you. Get drinking that water. Like the guy that told me uh, not long ago, he said, yeah, I think I'm averaging about 12 cups of coffee a day. <laughs> well, that's probably not going to help the anxiety. Yeah, yeah. You know, what's going in your mouth? Um, what extremes could be going on? Am I yeah. skipping breakfast, not having protein? Or, you know, how am I caring for myself? Mm-hmm. Um, that's important. I think, too, and one of the things uh, I've suggested a few times, Change so you get anxious. Go outside, get some air. Really, truly, go for that twenty-minute walk. Just change your That's environment. Good. That's good. And uh, with that, is there's a set, settling that that movement's pretty important. Maybe you're going to do uh, take an old-fashioned three-by-five card. Remember we used to use those. <laughs> yeah. And write down a simple verse. That's mm. good. And put that in your put that in your pocket. And when you're out walking. Pull that out a few times and say that verse out loud. <laughs> begin begin to do some things to, uh, if you will, uh, reset your thinking, yeah, renew your good. thinking. Mm, that's so good. Dr. Gregory Jantz is a speaker, best-selling author, founder of The Center, A Place of Hope in Edmonds, Washington. We've been talking to him about two books, So Much to Live For, How to Provide Help and Hope to Someone Considering Suicide, and also The Anxiety Reset a life-changing approach to overcoming fear, stress, worry, panic attacks, OCD, and more. You're going to want to grab a copy of his books wherever it is you buy your books. And you can learn more about Dr. Jantz and his books at drgregoryjantz.com. You can also connect with him on Twitter at Gregory Jantz, PhD. And you can learn more about the center at aplaceofhope.com. Dr. Jantz, it has been such a thrill to have you with us today talking about some heavy stuff, but some important stuff. Thank you so much for being with us. You're very welcome. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us today. Hope you're having a great day. All right, Aubrey, it's Friday. We're looking forward to the weekend. You were thinking about, you know, what are the plans? But if you're part of our show on a Friday, it should really cause you to think of what one that's thing. right. And what is that one thing? That is our top five things. Top five list, something Aubrey and I have been doing now for a couple months, where on Fridays, 
We throw out a random topic. So we've done top five movies all the way down to top five ice cream flavors and all sorts of other ones. Uh, but today, well, I won't tell you what it is first because first we need to hear That's just right, we do. the highlight of the top five yes. list. It is our top five list jingle. Top five, top five, top five, top five, top five things with Brian and Aubrey. I think my favorite part is that trumpet. I just feel like Debbie, our producer, her voice hits that note strong. She's a good singer. So just so we can compare, how about next week you sing it? (laughs) Okay, (laughs) done. As long as you dance to it, then then it's fair. Done and done. All right, this week's top five list, and it's going to require maybe some explanation. Yeah. Because you and I, as we do every one of these, go different directions. Yes. Top five dream jobs. Yes. So it can't be, I wish I was a better pastor. Right. Or a A more successful author. So we kind of pulled out things from the author world, the radio world, the pastor world. Like, that's it. Um, and also, but from there, we left pretty good latitude. It doesn't need to be dream as in, like, I could make all the money in the world. Right. it's just things that sometimes you go, I kind of wish I could like, do that'd that. That would be a cool job. Yeah. I kind of wish. Yeah. I, so I'm interested to see because yeah. two of mine are like really sports kind of out there. Okay. Like you, okay. Very, very, very few people in the world. But the other three of mine are like pretty common jobs. Oh, interesting. <laughs> How okay. about you? Okay. Uh, mine are also all sports related. Just kidding. None of say. mine have anything to do with sports. Um, They're all pretty out there. Okay, all so of mine are very. Nobody out there. listening is likely to have one of your five. Because I'll bet you three no, some, of mine. No, some people listening will have one of my jobs. One of yours. I think three to of two. mine will likely be. All right. Okay. Well, enough of the buildup. Number five dream job for Aubrey Sampson. Okay, I would like to be, an uh, I would like to play a mom in one of those Disney TV shows. I want to be a Disney mom. That has always been my dream. Like, good luck, Charlie, the mom on that show. Yes. Ever since her, I'm like, that's the job I want. Charlie, honey, you ready for your play date? Yay! Who's coming over? Taylor. I invited her parents, too. So we're all having a play date? Honey, this one is actually going to be fun. I met the mom, Susan. She's really nice. Uh, I thought her name was Cheryl. No, it's Susan. Are you sure? Am I sure that I'm right and you're wrong? Always. I want to play a Disney mom on a really cheesy Disney sitcom or in a Hallmark Christmas movie. No, we're sticking with Disney. We're sticking with Disney. No. Uh, Ryan, I can say whatever I want. I Disney or a Hallmark Christmas movie. This is way too like nichey, so we won't do it. But there okay. is a top five uh, Disney moms out there to be done. <laughs> oh yeah, there is. You and I are just coming out of the uh, watching the Disney Channel right. stage with our kids. So sad that's over. Okay, <laughs> you can still watch them. You're right. You're uh, right. Okay. Or no. star in them. Or star in them. That is true. Uh, number five, and this is one of mine that is not likely to be anybody out there. Uh, of I've th- I figured I'd pull out a uh, professional athlete here, and if okay. I could be any professional athlete, yeah. it's a professional golfer. Really? Now, why? They, why golf? Uh, ob- obscene amounts of money. Okay, fair. Always where it's warm. Reasonable. Uh, and I like golf. And you're playing Those Thursday to Sunday. You've sold you know, you're me. Practicing, sold but me. You're also like a a um a sole proprietorship. Like you're not mm. uh, you're like you're the golfer. You know, we've well, got your caddy and your yeah. team of people. So. Yeah. Okay. A I like it. You don't ever look at a professional golfer and go, wow, they're not tan enough. Like, they've been in the sun. You're right. They're outside. They're in beautiful locations. All right. This okay. is where I think we're going to diverge into, like, yours is still going to be craziness. And Maybe. Be... We'll see. All, All right. right. My number four, a professional golfer. Just I kidding. Say. I would like to be a professor 
I don't care of what. No. Just a very dramatic professor who gets to like stand on chairs and like, you know, lay on the ground and like inspire the children. That's what I, I don't care what the subject is. So you want to be Robin Williams. In, yes, 100%. Yeah. I want to channel Robin Williams. In which movie? R.I.P. Dead Poet Society. Seize the day. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Why does the writer use these lines? Because he's in a hurry. No. Ding. Thanks for playing anyway. All right, you want to be a professor, yeah. an exuberant professor. An exuberant, dramatic professor. Number correct. four for me. And there might be some of you out there who are like, oh, no, this is my job, and you are totally over-romanticizing it. I'd like to be an airline pilot. Oh, Brian, look at that. Not for the flying aspect of it. What for? Travel. Okay, yeah. Pilot, he wears the cool uniform, and he just, you know, he's got one job. He's a pilot or fly the plane? He has one responsibility. I had a, uh, an uncle who was it's a pilot. a big responsibility. Yeah, though. I had an uncle who was a pilot, and he told me, uh, he said, your only responsibility uh, is that landings equal takeoffs. Landings <laughs> equal takeoffs. So, fair, fair, so yes. Essentially, so I'd like to, I, there's something, uh, I'm, I think I'm probably over-romanticizing it, but there's something I, I like mean, about the airline I mean, you already wear headphones every day for the show, so <laughs> oh, I yes. feel like you fit right in. As a, okay, my, I'm sticking with a Disney theme. I would like to work at one of the Disney parks. I'm sure you could. But specifically <laughs> as a character. I don't really like, I, you know, I, I don't want to be just a person who's selling popcorn. I want to be. This is where I'm torn. I'd like to be a Star Wars character. I'd like to be an Avengers, maybe a Black Widow. You want to be a Disney princess. Stop it. I don't know that I want to be a Disney princess, but I want to be a character for okay. sure. In a parade waving or holding a lightsaber fighting. All righty. This my number three will feel very different than that. Okay, I think I'd like to be a travel agent. <gasps> Brian, <laughs> yeah, you'd be good at that. You'd like, be good like, at that. I understand the internet has has taken that away yeah. substantially, but planning people's and then I also I knew some people who were like in the travel agency uh, kind of game, like uh-huh. in that business. And they get to go check out all the places. They do. My parents still use a travel agent, and he gets to go to all the cool places. Yeah. Wow, the Common Good Travel Agency. I think we could be on. It's a good something. name, actually. Okay. I like that. Okay, so Maya's really similar. My number two. So that's why I, I was so shocked with that. I would like to be a tour guide in the Caribbean. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's Mostly, that's just to be in the Caribbean. Yes. Yes. Carrie and I once. Uh, she's a photographer, as you know, and we yeah. discussed after being at an all-inclusive resort. Do you think they need, like, would ever, like, take a combo of a photographer and, like, a chaplain pastor? There you go. You guys could do weddings. Or just be there. Yeah. They could. You're, like, the wedding service at the place. That's good. I like that. All right. Number two, a a nod to my love of baseball. I'd like to. This is also a nod to Seinfeld, if you remember the episode. I'd like to be the general manager of a baseball team. Nice. Yeah, you'd be great at that. George says to him, Jerry goes, well, what do you want to be? And he goes, I'd like to be the general manager of a baseball team. And Jerry goes. Well, they usually give those to former players. <laughs> so, yeah, I'd like to be a baseball general manager. Nice. All right, we're up to number one. Neither you nor I had any, um, no. uh, what's the word, honorable mentions. No honorable so mentions. So we are going to go right to number one. Aubrey, your number one dream job is? I don't know what the actual title of this job is. But it is a job, job I have wanted since I was, like, probably middle school. I want to be the person who chooses the soundtracks for movies. <laughs> 
desperately. Not writes the score, but chooses popular songs and puts them to movies. Is that actually a job? That's why I don't know if it's a title. But yes, we're calling it chooser of soundtrack for movies. (laughs) That's my dream job. I love movie soundtracks and I love music and I would love to be the one who picks Picks the I, I music just, for movies. I would just like to know if there is a person who picks the soundtrack. I mean, soundtrack somebody has to. Or they tell the person, you write the score, the sound. Okay. No, no but your not dream. the score. Not your the score. Your dream. That's the, your dream. The soundtrack. I just, I'm reading your last three. Character of the Disney Park, tour guide in the Caribbean, <laughs> and the music person for movies. So. Yeah. All right. My number one, and this is the one that I've literally said to my wife. If I wasn't a pastor, oh. I would want to do this. So this is real. Yeah, I don't know that ever. Yeah, okay. Okay, all right. The way that it. I've answered this to her is that if I was not a pastor, I would want to be a barber. I'm the barber of <laughs> I would want to cut hair. You're basically going to pastor people while you're cutting their hair, because though. Because they're in a chair. Yeah. You're just talking. Yeah. Like, yeah. I know it's probably not the most lucrative career you could have. You're just chatting with people, encouraging them. I just, the I captive audience. <laughs> and, yeah, I, and I understand that it's like probably that. a lot more difficult. But I've said to my wife that I would like to be a barber. So that's our top five list of uh, dream jobs. Although, uh, I'm Look not Look at what sure. our producer Deb just did, though, Brian. Our music supervisor. Music supervisor. There's a real title. I don't know that that's, that's what that is. That's my dream job. <laughs> Well, that's, we'd love to know what you think. Go to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Common Good Talk. And thanks everybody for joining us today. We'll be back on Monday from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com